Welcome to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. Today is the last episode of the podcast. It's been a wonderful experience talking to so many people about Ethan and getting to know him better. And even though this is the last episode, I feel as if though there might still be people who want to talk at some point in the future or add to the conversations we've had already. So don't be surprised if I pop up with an episode every once in a while. Before I talk about my guest today, I'd like to remind you that I have organized a GoFundMe account in honor of Ethan. All the money raised through the fundraiser will go to the Sounds Academy of Music in Phoenix, Arizona to provide lessons or instruments for underserved youth in the area. I can't think of a better way to honor Ethan's name than by providing the gift of music to someone who otherwise does not have the resources uh, to find it on their own. So please consider being a part of this fundraiser. You can find a link to the fundraiser on the Facebook page, and I will leave the fundraiser active until somewhere towards the end of uh, this summer, the summer of 2024. So my guest today is Kathleen Newman, Ethan's mom. I saved my second conversation with Kathleen for the last episode of the podcast because I was curious what she had to say after listening to all the episodes. We talked once before at the end of the first season, and that was a great talk. So I was excited that she agreed to speak with me a second time. I'm curious what her thoughts are after listening to all the episodes. And so I plan on finding out if she came across any stories that she hasn't heard before. And I'd like to give her the opportunity to say whatever may be on her mind after thinking about Ethan and hearing everyone talk about him uh, for so long. In this conversation, we discuss all of those things and more. And Kathleen also um, shared so many wonderful stories and timelines and adventures. It felt like we were having a wonderful visit and we were just sitting around talking about Ethan. And I'm happy to share my talk with you here today. I wasn't paying much attention to the time during our conversation, so we ended up talking for about two and a half hours, and um, mostly I was listening to some amazing stories that Kathleen was sharing with us. So I've decided to release this conversation in two parts. So I'll play for you the first part of the conversation now, and then next week uh, we'll follow up with uh, the second part, and I'd like to give you some of my thoughts on this experience as well. So here's part one of my conversation with Kathleen. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Kathleen. Hello, Chris. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Good night. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me again. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. And mm-hmm. uh, on behalf of everybody, you know, the podcast just keep getting better and better. And uh, we just all love the stories from everyone and the way you're doing it. And people tell me all the time. And so, yeah, the thank yous are going to keep coming to you because. <laughs> the whole the the zoom meetings with all the bands have been so fun 
They have been. And, yes. And uh, I th just think we're all really enjoying the funny stories uh, and the great memories just more and more. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for your words. I love to hear <laughs> I love to hear your thoughts about um, every episode, you know. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we can hear some more details of, you know, things you've thought of or yeah, that have come to you over the course of this of the podcast. I'm hearing uh, stories I've never heard before, and you know, Ethan told me a lot of things about each band, uh -huh. but it's been so fun to. That I've never heard before. So well, that's something that I that I'm curious. It's kind of one of my questions. You know, I was curious about that. So we'll get into that during our conversation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I figured um, that you probably collected and gathered some thoughts and perhaps some questions of your own, or just you know uh, things in general that you'd like to say or talk about. So I figured. You know, as opposed to, I usually get my conversation started by asking questions and things like that. But, I mean, I would just like to open the floor to you at this point. You know, do you, do you have thoughts or things that you've thought about, you know, in preparation oh, yeah. of our conversation? Oh, yes. Yeah. So just starting yeah. with uh, when Ethan left Prescott to go to ASU after he was done touring with um nothing fancy the country western band that he started um that he started playing with when he was a senior in high school it he took a year off between high school and asu and i remembered that oh he was also doing his band dysfunction which was I always thought, well, he needed <laughs> heavy metal or thrash music regularly if he was doing country music. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, he had fun doing uh, Dysfunction with some musicians here, and they would gig here and they would gig in phoenix but it was kind of um just for a while but it it was the whole heavy metal thing you know and uh and so then it was time for him to leave press for ethan to leave prescott to go to asu and the reason why i'm bringing it up is because it was just very distinct when he's packing up his camper truck and he's ready to go and you know he's ready to go but it's also hard to leave Prescott it's pretty nice so uh so his thing was well yeah I I don't know <laughs> I don't know any of mus of the musicians or the music scene where I'm going and and, you know, that's 19-year-old Ethan talking. And, I, you know, I said, well, gee, honey, you know, it's not going to take you very long because that's what you want to do. And you're going to check out everything. And 
there was as is already, you know, that he was going to check out as is. Uh, but it was just that process of leaving home, going to a new place, and then us discussing, yeah, you're going to, you're going to find it and you're going to, whether it's at ASU or it's in Tempe, whatever, you'll make it happen. It'll, it's just going to take a little bit of time. So um, it, it was kind of funny to laugh at that after a couple of years when he was gigging everywhere. Uh, so, you, you know, I can remember when he, Ethan was looking in whatever the news magazines, or maybe it was new times or whatever it was that you would look at in uh, 1993, you know, to find out where uh, musicians needed somebody in a band. So he did some of that and went to some uh, older guys, garage bands, and checked out some blues things. And, you know, he was willing to check it out, but it was nothing great, nothing that suited him. Mm -hmm. And the way Derek Butler told the story is exactly the way it happened of as is the popular reggae band playing all over Tempe and all the festivals and, you know, jamming in the streets and all that. Uh, yes, Ethan learned all their songs and just said, you know, Derek, get me a, get me a rehearsal or something um, because you guys need a bass player and I know all your stuff and I, I love your band. I really want to be in it. So that was fun. Really fun because the minute uh, Ethan start playing with as is we Ethan's family uh, Brad's family my family everybody started going to everything and as is was playing you know every food festival outside in Scottsdale or Tempe or the block parties or whatever it was and they were so fun and we loved it and we loved going to all those the day gigs you know in the street or bringing the grandmas and grandpas and <laughs> it was just a blast um so when they did make their record another world um it was so good and it had so many great songs that we all loved. Uh, so one of the stories I thought of when I was listening to Kurt or Derek talk about as is was when this CD came out <clears throat> and they were so popular and we were going to all their gigs and places they played at night and they had a huge following. I can remember it seemed they had a, there would be boxes of 15 CDs in a box. And uh, let's say at that time they were $10 a CD. 
or maybe it was 10 CDs at $15. I can't remember, but we were all, all of us were buying whole boxes <laughs> of another world. And um, it was just such a joyful album with so many fun songs. You know, we just, we gave them to everybody. So uh, Ethan's dad was buying a whole bunch of boxes and giving them the route relatives i was buying several boxes at you know they weren't going one cd <laughs> they were selling one cd at a time at a gig at a little table we were we were buying whole boxes <laughs> so that was fun to think about when i heard some of the as is stories uh, and we just we had a blast if they went to san diego we went to san diego if they played desert sky pavilion with a whole bunch of great bands we went there um they had regular places where couples of diversity who loved diverse music would come and dance just to them and it was it was just really really fun so the as is stories were just uh fun 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 and it it was funny to see at the beginning some of the band members thinking oh who's this um who's this kid from prescott you know they're just rednecks and ignorant coming from which of course he was neither none of us were uh so it was it was just fun to see how joyful all that music was and uh and yes ethan and alan dakina could they could write a song just looking at each other in a in a room mm -hmm. you know sitting around uh a room <laughs> And so they came up with the song Fresca, which is on that album, Another World. And it's uh it's just it's just fun to listen to that whole as you got to hear some of those songs yeah. from time to time. And uh it was a very joyful joyful period and it felt like it it was big, it was big, and we we just loved, we just loved bringing the whole whole families to where they were playing. So I bet that was fun. Yeah, very fun. Um, so it was after a couple of years of that when uh the opportunity came for Ethan to to do the first Department of Defense tour. And so it meant interrupting ASU classes and interrupting gigs because it would be a month to two months at a time or maybe six weeks. But uh, the way he got interested into it was... Uh, Alan Dakina had gone before with the group that uh, would go, the Department of Defense would pay and schedule 
the entertainment like um, USO, but not USO. Um, so, uh, so Alan knew that uh, the band that was going in uh, spring of 1997 that they were going to South Korea, Tokyo, Okinawa, Hiroshima, Guam, Hawaii, and it meant um, playing for the military in all those places. And uh, so, of course, Ethan wanted to go. So that's how that first tour happened. And, you know, it was... It was wonderful, courageous, exciting. Um, but they started in South Korea. And so here's 22-year-old Ethan going on 23, you know, playing, playing music around the world for the first time, which he always wanted to do. Um, and, uh, you know, they they would try they would call from time to time and the stories were just uh amazing you know starting in south korea and of course the band every, uh, military people love it when a great rock and roll band comes you know wherever they are but uh just knowing that Ethan is uh, Ethan would want to meet people wherever he went always and strike up conversations. So whether they were school kids or young women or older men working, starting in South Korea and uh, Okinawa and all those places, he just, you know, he was he was trying to meet as many people as possible and learn about them and um the stories were just great you know yeah talk going through the the jungles in okinawa and he would describe the fruit the giant fruit bat bats flying and uh and then of course he had pictures of him they he and alan went to <laughs> like a reptile museum and so i would get pictures of him with huge snakes wrapped around him you know uh but it was it was that big first tour and since ethan had always studied history you know he wanted to know about uh World War II when he was in Japan and he wanted to talk to all the people in Guam when they uh, the military officers would take them out you know fishing and swimming and they, they just did all the adventures they could fit in when they weren't gigging at night and so it was it was really great. And of course, it was so fun to hear about when he came home or when he called us or any of that. So that was that was pretty, pretty great. And uh, 
um, so coming back, he and Alan and the other musicians would then, after a tour like that, then find out how to gig again, how to rejoin their bands or gig with other people. And so that's what he did. But he took that chance every time he could get it. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, yeah, so that meant, oh, gosh, maybe he needed to play with Muggy on more when Aziz already had a bass player while he was going on that tour. Or um, I'm thinking about we went to a lot of blues gigs um, because somehow Ethan found the blues musicians who needed a who needed a bass player on a Sunday night or a Thursday night, you know, and he, he loved playing the blues. And he, so he would tell me, we go, no, I'm may, I'm playing in the beginning. I'm playing country music because these are paying gigs. Sure. I'm, I'm doing blues on the other night on the other nights because I love playing that. So he, he found, way he always found ways to play rock and roll but things like blues or jazz or heavy metal you know that he wanted to play all of that also so somehow he would find he would find the people at gigs on the other nights so thinking about the other tours ethan did with the department of defense how many did he do in, in total? Uh, three that were around the world. Okay. And so he resumed ASU and he resumed bands in between. But when the opportunity came up for a DOD tour, he, he went. Um, so the next time that came up, with uh, some of the same band members. It was a nice woman who was the organizer of all of them. So the next time was in the year 2000 and it wasn't quite the same band, but Ethan knew them. And this time it was going to Bosnia in the summer of 2000. And I was on our friend's <laughs> fishing boat in Alaska in the summer, the same time Ethan was in Bosnia. So when I got back from Alaska and he got back from Bosnia, then I got to hear about it. Um, and he had just wonderful pictures of, of uh, meeting children in the streets of bosnia you know in war-torn neighborhoods and uh of course they connected with soldiers military uh men and women and um officers all over the place so that was another great adventure for him and uh so without talking about who's your daddy and Tate in between. I'll just go to the next tour, which was 
fall of 2003. And so it was a lot of the same band members. This time it would be at Thanksgiving time. And the joke was it was going to be all the stands, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Qatar, which, you know, on the news, they say Qatar, Q-A-T-A-R. But Ethan in the band, they were told you're supposed to say Qatar. Okay. So... And with Thanksgiving being in Africa, namely Djibouti, Africa, um, with the Marines for Thanksgiving. And we could get emails at that time. So the stories were fantastic. And all, all those jets and aircraft that Ethan had studied when he was in fifth grade, wow. you know, he... He got to fly in a whole lot of those. And there were concerns about going to Afghanistan and Qatar and all those places. It turns out uh, they could not go into Afghanistan, but they went to Kyrgyzstan and Uzbekistan and, um, and needed help, needed help. Uh, in the airports and coming and going and the logistics. Um, but they did it. And so the, those stories were just wonderful. And another great thing about them going there at that time was um, at our elementary school where I was still teaching first grade, uh, the fifth grade teachers at my school had their students write letters to uh, the military far, far away, knowing that um, Ethan would be taking those letters in his backpack and delivering them wow. in all the locations. And that was a great, well, not only a teaching tool, but you know, for kids to go, wait, our our letters from Prescott, Arizona are going to be <laughs> taken by Ethan and handed over to the soldiers in these dangerous places. Um, and then later on, um, they a lot of the kids got mail sent to our school in answering their letters and it was you know it was very safe they had to address it to a soldier or to a miller military person and then it was the letters that came back were they came to our school so it, it was all safe but that was a great feeling and then uh you know ethan could come to school and pull the world map down once again which he always did and show the kids on the map where the band had been and where their letters went and what it was like in those countries and the airports. And, um, but uh, the tales, you might've gotten the email in 2003 at Thanksgiving, the tales of going to Djibouti and the Marines, you know, they have, the huge tents there in the desert. Uh, they have the huge Thanksgiving meals. 
wild, wild rock and roll, you know, for the entertainment. And then that was supposed to be it. But they would say, hey, we want to hang out with you guys, you rock and roll musicians. And we're special forces. So you're not supposed to know that we even exist in Djibouti, Africa. But we're going to take you to our hangout. Um, and they, of course, they traded stories. And uh, Ethan loved all that. And in the daytime, they would uh, take military, the, the military would take their Jeeps and drive the musicians around, kind of sightseeing, but really to take water bottles to the mothers and the children living out there in the de desert in Djibouti, Africa, um, which Ethan wrote beautifully about doing that. And then they even got to go to a hospital where there were uh, babies who were born with AIDS. And uh, Ethan and the musicians got to, were welcomed and they got to, you know, feed, <laughs> give them bottles. And it was, you know, it was just a wonderful thing for everybody. The Marines loved having a rock and roll band there sure. and the musicians loved doing everything they could do while they were there so um that was a great tour and it was it, great and all of the musicians were from arizona they were organized in arizona i think all of them were in arizona it was uh you know he had he had certificates and photos and itineraries with uh, all those tours and all those groups. Um, Alan Dakina being like his brother, Alan and Ethan would say we were brothers. Alan was only on the that first tour that started in South Korea. Um, but Dawn, the woman who was the star of the show and and organized it all and had the connections and got, you know, all the paperwork and the the checks and the airports and all that. She organized all of those. So um, those those were just great adventures for Ethan, and that's what he wanted to do. And to me, it was amazing that all their musical equipment and instruments made it through all those airports back to Arizona. Sure. Uh, yeah. And um, Ethan being a reader and use, you know, he was used to doing a lot of things by himself and entertaining himself his whole life. So, you know, he could wait for hours in airports. Uh, reading and trying you know to meet as many people in that country as possible but some of those places yes were were dangerous and so we were all relieved when they made it back home and sure. yeah. yeah so that's what that was but you know people think uso 
Yeah, I think I referred to it as the USO when I was talking to someone. Yeah, yeah, it's similar, but I go, uh, but the, just knowing that we know <laughs> the Department of De Defense is huge and pays for a lot of things around the world and a lot of weapons and a lot of military bases uh, forever. But it, it was great knowing that they paid for rock and roll musicians to go bring a lot of fun and joy to those people stationed far away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for the details on that because, you know, I haven't been able to speak with anyone who was with them during those tours. Yeah. I've always been curious, you know, he even told me some stories about his travels and I saw his pictures and the map in his house with the pins in it, where he'd been. Yeah. Yeah. But I never got a chance to really sit down with them and have them, you know, give me the timeline and talk specifically about those places. What was there? Um, were there any places in particular that he liked the most out of all the places he traveled to? Well, yeah, he liked, you know, he always liked the dangerous places. Definitely. <laughs> and Alan and other musicians would joke about. Yes, Ethan always learned enough language, well, to communicate with all the people he came in contact with, but especially <laughs> beautiful young women, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, for the next podcast i will get out the email that he sent to everybody about describing djibouti africa yeah that would be awesome yeah i'll read that i one. don't think i got that because i met ethan in 2004 okay i'd love okay. to, i'd love to hear that yes i will read that one to you because it was so descriptive and then of course you know <laughs> he brought back presents from every tour so the first tour, um, uh, I mean, I got a beautiful purple kimono from Japan. And uh, Ethan picked out things for his dad. He picked out things from each tour for whatever, for his girlfriend at the time. Very thoughtful gifts. Um, Japan. I asked for a rock from Africa. So I have a rock that Ethan brought from, you know, the sands of Djibouti, Africa, yeah. and a beautiful batik dress from one of the markets. And uh, I remember it, when he came home from each thing, seeing his list and then seeing his presence for his close friends and and the other people in the family so that was always always a treat um and you know i have a box in my house now that has the certificates from the military and the coins there's coins that people in the military trade with each other from different countries Mm -hmm. that are meaningful to people who were in the military or in this case, the musicians who would visit them. So um, 
you know, there, <laughs> there's set lists for each country. There's, they, they just really did it right. And he loved doing it. And um, so we're all happy that he got to do that, even sure. though at times it seemed dangerous. But back then, before cell phones or whatever, it was so fun on your landline to get the call. Yeah. Uh, and me and, you know, his dad or I would jot down all the notes so we could tell the other people in the family, like, oh, this is where they are now. This is what this show was like. Um, these are the animals they saw when they went hiking, you know, all all the details of visiting those countries. Um, wow. What, and what an awesome opportunity for him, to, especially for a guy like Ethan who loved history and geography so much and knew about other parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It was wow. a great, uh, I was just so happy to know that that's one of the things the government pays for sure uh, is the entertainment for the people stationed around the world yeah well i bet yeah. it's very important to those men and women you know yeah oh yeah, yeah. i mean hardcore fun fun <laughs> rock and roll everything you know you would want in a rock and roll show in a tent <laughs> and all of those opportunities came from him being a member of as is and that's how it started. Wow. Alan was the key to uh, the group that first went. Yes. And, and Alan had gone previously on other tours. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that was great. So then in between, you know, uh, then Ethan resumed his, his, uh, gigging and playing and jobs and ASU classes and made it work. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So who's your daddy and, and Tate and, uh, and all the bands in between, he, he made that work. Um, I was, when he was younger, you know, I would be sad when a band I really like, I really liked, uh, you know, they stopped playing or they did other things or they kind of broke up or they got other musicians. And it took me a while to go, oh, this is, this is how it is. Mm. You, you keep making, if you're a working musician, you know, you guys are going to keep uh, playing where you want to play and joining up with the other musicians. And it's not one great band that's going <laughs> to last a really long time. Uh, I was just always a fan and it took me a while to go, oh, oh, he's going to play with those guys, but they're going to be over here and playing those venues. And now their name is this, you know. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of tangible parts in the scene. Yes, and how great because everybody's been able to continue. Yeah, and 
the connections are made. Um, there were just some bands I loved, loved going to the gigs. What were some of your favorite ones? Well, definitely as is. That was just so much fun. And yes, then once it, Who's Your Daddy and Tate and Capital Down and Delcoa um, and Easton Ash and, you know, all the all the people involved with all those um so uh the country western bands are very popular in prescott so you know fourth of july street dances ethan would be playing those under a big tent with the country western bands that would come here and it was fun and i i care about all those musicians but it's not the same as going to rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody likes what they like. Right. Yeah. Right. So. And as you mentioned in our last conversation, music is good. Music is good. Music doesn't matter what genre it is. Exactly. You know, and, and not everything's for everyone and everything is for everyone at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Um, we loved uh, for a long time. Ethan and Todd, and sometimes Ethan and Matt Tenner, played outside at Desert Ridge Mall where they have the fountains coming up and the kids could play in the fountains. Yes. Um, and that would be on Sunday afternoons. And it was great duo, comedy, fun, classic rock and roll for the whole family. And so there are all the great restaurants around there. So um, anybody coming to Phoenix on, uh, on the weekend, or if it was Easter or Mother's Day or something, it was a great place for um, friends and families to meet. Right. And they had, the duos had great followings and it was just a really fun daytime thing you know where we could all meet up yeah i wish i could have seen more of those but i um i feel lucky that i was able to catch a few of them oh yeah you <clears> did <throat> you did in other places <laughs> well right. i got I, I did the desert ridge uh okay I went to a couple of the and there were a couple of times where because randy and i would always pick up sunday afternoon gigs around town yes but every once in a while Todd and Ethan couldn't do it. And so they would pass the gig on to us for that week. You know, so we did a couple of those and they, and they were fun. It, it was neat to see all the people coming and going um, from the different shops and restaurants. Yes. All the kids running around and playing. And the, we were always on our best behavior at those gigs because we didn't want to offend anyone or get, because we, we used to get pretty crazy. But um, those were fun. Oh, those those were G-rated. For sure, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> and fun. Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. So then I did tell you one time about how we love to go to Cliff Castle Casino. Yep. Which is between Prescott and Sedona. Okay. And so they would have bands inside. And they have bands outside. 
um, for years. And so those were Who's Your Daddy and Tate years. And East and Ash had their own gigs there also. But in the outdoor um, arena, you know, they would have uh, national popular groups come through. And then the, the Arizona bands would get booked inside uh, at night. So it was, I believe, 2003 when Huey Lewis and the News were going to play outside in, in the late afternoon. And then um, Tate or Who's Your Daddy? Uh, was going to play inside later that night. So we could all get rooms at Cliff Castle Casino. You could go to Clear Creek in the day, swim in the creek. And then in this case, <laughs> we got front row to Huey Lewis in the news outside. And they were as great as they always were. And then at night after that, we went inside to see Tate. And the reason why I said, who's your daddy would, was sometime, I guess maybe one time Alan Chadwick couldn't come. So Dean Miller came, but it, if they booked, if Todd got them booked at Cliff Castle Casino for one or two nights, we tried to always go because it was just so, so fun. So fun. And yeah, those were, those were not G-rated lyrics <laughs> those nights. So they, they had a great time playing. Those. What would you do when those guys started getting, started getting a little crazy? Would you just kind of like put your head down and like, uh, uh, no, I, you know, did you get embarrassed or, <laughs> uh, well, no, and Ethan knew it because, <laughs> you know, uh, he was my son. So he, he never, he never changed things growing up because we were listening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, so Tate, that's one thing. Yes, as we know, Capital Down, Ethan and Mike Mercier, that's a, no, they did not change <laughs> their uh lyrics their banter at gigs if we were there at night you know and we, we you know the, we just laughed and laughed and laughed yeah. it was so much fun uh sure. yeah so we were we were used to that but um i bet it was so special too for for ethan to have you show up to so many of his gigs over the years you know my mom didn't really get to see me perform a whole lot. When I first started performing, she came to a couple things and I was always very, I just remember, you know, I had an extra spring in my step. Oh, my mom's here. You know, she's going to see what I'm yeah. doing. All the, all the years I spent in my bedroom learning Metallica songs and has led to this, you know, so oh, I bet yeah. that's a special thing for him too, to, to have you in the audience. Oh yes. And then of course his dad and, mm -hmm. um, over the years, Ethan was used to, uh, his dad loved sitting in with Ethan wherever he was. If, if it was a duo thing, it was easy for that to happen. 
Sure. And they knew they knew which songs they were going to play together. Um, and so that's they had years of that together that they loved, but they were Ethan's gigs and he would let his dad know <laughs> when it was okay to do to sit in and do two songs. It was great. And if it was, you know, a four piece band doing something huge well then you know that was not the time to sit in <laughs> but they made it work uh but no we always ethan's family always went to his gigs and uh that's it if you had to go to phoenix for any reason we would plan it around where where would his band be playing that night or where would the duo be in the day? That was part of the plan for many, many, many years, um, fun. which made everything about going to Phoenix a whole lot more fun. Well, Chris, I, I found Ethan's writing about, uh, Djibouti, Africa, and that tour in fall of 2003. Mm -hmm. And we've, in my family, we've all read it many times, but, you know, uh, I read it out loud and it's, it's such a great example of what a great writer Ethan is, was. And so I'm going to read that now. Okay. November, 2003. Hello to all. This And this is an email to all the families. Long time no talk. Sorry about the mass email, but you know how it is. I hope everyone enjoyed a happy and relaxing Thanksgiving. We all have much to be thankful for. I'm writing this email in a cafe in Amsterdam on a Sunday afternoon, November 30th. When I woke up, when I woke up this morning, 30 hours ago, I was in Djibouti, Africa, on a U.S. Special Forces base two miles from the Red Sea. Since then, I've been in three countries and covered more than 3,000 miles, meaning him and the whole band. Mm -hmm. For the past two and a half weeks, I have been touring U.S. military installations throughout the Middle East with a rock band. Our mission was to entertain the troops fighting and supporting our unilateral campaigns in Afghanistan and Iraq. We were very su successful, meaning the rock band. We have seen and done many extraordinary things in a very short time, from the Himalayas to the Arabian Peninsula. There are countries excuse me, there are countless images from this voyage that will always be forever etched in my mind. This trip has been, certainly been and has become one of the most defining experiences of my life. Before it is all over, we, the band, will have racked up six shows, 16 flights, 12 countries, and 25,000 miles in 16 days. There hasn't been much time for standing still, let alone sleep. Today was especially challenging. 
as a travel day full of unexpected obstacles and daunting challenges. I am still reeling at the enormity of our accomplishments, our resourcefulness and our patience. On the morning before Thanksgiving, we arrived in Djibouti, an old French colony on the Horn of Africa between Somalia and Ethiopia. One of the Marines was able to drive us around the city of Djibouti, but we were not allowed to get out of the vehicle due to the increased threat level. I have had passing glimpses of extreme poverty in countries like Mexico, Bosnia, Kosovo, and Pakistan, but I have never witnessed the level of destitution that we encountered in this pillaged, ravaged, forgotten land. Cholera, malaria, HIV, AIDS, thirst, and starvation torment the beautiful people who struggle to carve out a harried existence in this cursed place. While we drove through the tin, the mud, and the cardboard shanty towns, we dodged the free-range camels in 100-degree heat. Children would run to our suburbans and jeeps and beg for bottles of drinking water that we carried with us. Their mothers shined with bright, beautiful smiles of gratitude as if these bottles of water were treasured bars of gold. And then he puts in parentheses, 50% of the world's population does not have access to clean water. It would require 25% of the Star Wars Defense Program's budget to provide safe drinking water for the rest of humankind. We followed these visions of wantonness with an incredible Thanksgiving meal, U.S. Marine style. Be assured your tax dollars are hard at work. The spread that Brown and Root put out for our troops would make any American proud. Uh, yes, and I'm buying stock in Brown and Root as soon as I get home. They provide construction, maintenance, food service for many of our military installations, and it's a booming business. That night, Thanksgiving night, we played for about 1,000 personnel, and they sold several thousand beers. It was a great show. Mosh pits, crowd diving, etc., I don't exactly support the majority of U.S. foreign policy these days, but I felt very proud and honored to brighten up the holidays for, the, for our extraordinary men and women, all of them capable, brave, and many of them spending their first Thanksgiving away from home in a hot, miserable, dangerous place. Our flight out of Africa and back to Qatar north of Saudi Arabia was delayed an extra day. In fact, all of our flights on the whole trip were delayed for one reason or another. Because of this particular delay, however, we were able to accompany the base dentist on his bi-weekly trip to the local infant or orphanage in town. 
I spent the day after Thanksgiving with elderly French nuns and local volunteers feeding beautiful orphan babies in Djibouti, Africa. Most had colds and sores and they were red from, iod from the splashing of iodine. Some were healthy, some were HIV positive, all were precious. After feeding two of the sweetest baby girls in the world, the nuns had me feed three-year-old Joseph his dinner. The nuns had duped me by giving me the toughest, loudest, nastiest kid in the whole place. Hmm. Suffice to say that Joseph won our struggle of wills and succeeded in making a mess of everything within three feet of his high chair, most notably himself and me. It took three of us to clean everything up. Now, hours later, I'm back in the civilized world within the sphere of nations that colonized, abused, and abandoned much of humanity during the last three centuries. I know that my own spoiled life in the United States is connected to the fruit of this oppression. I don't really have a point here. I just wanted to share this small detail from my trip with all of you. I'd like to think that I'm a thankful person on any day, which I, I'm going to say now, Ethan's mom, I'm interjecting his writing. Um, he was always grateful, <laughs> always grateful and communicated it. And my fear of, oh, a child is going to get spoiled in this family, uh, you know, that did not happen. <laughs> So then Ethan says, this year, however, has been different. So much has happened in so little time. My heart and mind are spinning. I can hardly process how blessed we are, you guys and me, truly in all our lives. I am thankful for every one of you that has shared a piece of your life with me, even if it was long ago. Thanks. I'll hear from you soon, Ethan. Wow. And then, of course, after that was when he came back mm -hmm. uh, to my school and told the kids, yes, he, he hand-delivered those letters to soldiers in wow. those places. Yeah. I bet that was a powerful yeah. visit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, he was so good, right? He was just so good at writing about it. <laughs> Yeah, he was. It was very yeah. And uh, had so, any of the soldiers answered the letters that the kids gave them? Yes, they, and they mailed them to my school. Okay. So the kids got them at school, and oh. that was a thrill. I bet. Because they did at least uh, mention where the letters were coming from. And it was Africa or Saudi Arabia or... Pakistan or you know that was really really great a great writing project for school children sure um so then I thought well you know yes I have Ethan's notes Ethan's rhymes his poems everywhere from his whole life and uh I have a a, a big stack of homemade cards um 
that Ethan would make, uh, and he would make them for his dad also, but for birthdays, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, everything, uh, from when he was little to when he was an adult. So I just, I just picked one out of the stack and I go, oh yeah. So he was still, he was still in school living in Prescott for, with this one, but I continued to get these homemade cards with the homemade poems about who I was or what I did in life um, uh, year after year. So uh, it's so great because, you know, Brad can read his, I can read mine and, of course, they're hilarious. So mm -hmm. here's just one. And uh, he says, Mother, you told me what was right and wrong, learned me words anew. You comforted me when I was sad and cried the whole day through. You told me it was all right. Things would be okay. I would say some harsh things. You loved me anyway. So, you know, it's tongue in cheek the whole way. Sure. Uh, when I do some crazy things, you'd cry, oh, brother, but you are the one that shaped my life. You are my mother. And then love, love, love from Ethan. So um, all through the years, you could hear his, his perf perfect rhythm and rhyme in whatever poem he put in a birthday card or a mother's day card or whatever and even when he tried to be serious it was you know it was loving sarcasm <laughs> um so i i'm thinking of so many funny gig stories that just became <laughs> great adventures and uh so i'll tell you about 2004 Fourth of July in Prescott, um, which just turned out to be so much fun. Fourth uh, of July in Prescott is always a huge thing, and people come from all over, and it's crowded, and people are, you know, drinking for four days and in every bar and in costumes, like everything you can think of to do with red, white, and blue, and, you know, hippie stuff i still call it cowboys and cowgirls but like everything so uh so we knew that tate was coming which uh -huh. was a great thing that they were going to get play fourth of july in prescott and in the daytime on the fourth of july not you know it was a long weekend um and then they would the four of them tate and their uh, girlfriends or partners at the time in 2004 would spend the night in my downstairs and we would have a great time. And whenever, over the years, whenever one of Ethan's bands came to town or uh, my friends would come and play Prescott, uh, the thing would always be when the gig is over, you come and sit around the table at my house and, you know, there would be quesadillas and brownies or something after the gig. Mm -hmm. So this is all going to be on 4th of July. It's 2004. 
Ethan and uh, I think the rest of Tate had a very hard time with the 43rd president. Right. <laughs> you know, so and and we had it was summer and we all had you know, it was John Kerry bumper stickers in red, red and blue. So um, so we were ready to have this great day seeing Tate out at Pinion Pines, which is between here and if you're going to granite dells or mingus mountain or jerome the back way and it it was a place over the years where we all went and danced to some great live music um so they were going to play in the daytime and then my friends who who spent years with the great john stewart they were playing whiskey row above matt's at um at a at a bar that we had seen them before but it and they were playing all weekend and it just fantastic classic rock and roll done right but on whiskey row on fourth of july with uh, you know cowboy bands and <laughs> and drunk people out there for you know three nights so we knew we were going to see them at night after seeing Tate in the daytime. Yippee. So, cool. um, so the friends and family go out to Pinion Pines and, and Tate was great. And it was 4th of July and, you know, Todd starts singing um, American pie and everything else we wanted to hear. We had a great time. Um, and then the rest of us went down to Whiskey Row to hear our buddies do classic rock uh, amidst all the country western bands and all the craziness going on. So at the end of that night, I say to these friends in 2004, hey, I my house is pretty close to here and my son's band is hanging out because they already had their gig. And we're going to, um, you know, just sit around and have quesadillas or whatever. You're welcome to come. And that was the first night they came over. And then since then, we've all become great friends. And they came to my house after gigs many, many times over the years. And we've had a great time. Wow. So, that so, is so cool. Well, so they're tired. And, and. I, I had to communicate, oh, no, I live close. And it's, um, no, I don't have a teenage son. My son, the, you know, this is a working band. He's a working musician. You guys have a lot in common. And um, the case, you know, the quesadillas and brownies, whatever, they're already made. This is just for you to hang out. And so they came. And being classic, <laughs> great musicians who have toured with everyone and they're, you know, they're in Prescott, Arizona on 4th of July. Uh, they, they didn't know what to expect. And so they walk in and it's, <laughs> it's Ethan and all of Tate and everybody sitting around the table. And, you know, people think uh, Prescott is uh whatever uneducated or you know redneck or whatever and so these guys come in 
and they're they're beetle fanatics and they're my my buddies and uh they are just wonderful people and they sit down at the table and they start talking and ethan starts talking and the connection happens right away of oh my gosh we we're different ages but everybody at the table knew about music careers the music world the history of the Beatles, um, the current politics. And it was so fun seeing at the time. So that was 20 years ago. So you go uh, the 30-somethings connecting with the 50-somethings on every talk. It was a blast. It was just a blast. And of course, they stayed friends ever since. So then when my my friends would come from California and play Scott Siller Prescott when they would have a gig um, in, in Scottsdale and we would all go, then we, we would say, okay, where, where is Ethan playing? Now we're going to go to that gig. (laughs) So it was so much fun. So much fun. And we ended up, you know, going to see Paul McCartney together and, and a lot of things uh but just for me so fun to see the younger musicians and the older musicians connecting on every level you know it was a blast yeah so what a wonderful uh, memory oh yes um so thinking about some of the things i loved musically doing with ethan over the years, our whole lives together. Uh, definitely going to concerts together, going to Bela Fleck and the Flecktones together, going to um, Victor Wooten or the Wooten Brothers together over the years. You know, lots and lots and lots of concerts here, there, and everywhere. Um, outside in Scottsdale and Tempe, or in California, or, you know, going to see Paul McCartney many times. Um, I don't even know how many times we we talked to Bela Fleck or Victor Wooten or anybody, you know, after the gigs. Uh, but some of the other ones were, um, you know, Ethan and I saw uh, the last tour of Ray Charles at the Celebrity Theater. Wow. We saw the last tour of James Brown. Um, And so then the joke was, oh, well, yeah, we shouldn't go see uh, (laughs) any of the older, fabulous musicians who were touring because, you know, we were seeing our last tour. Um, But uh, just uh, I could the first time that I saw Bela Fleck in the Flecktones and the Wooten brothers. Um, and Ethan had been telling me ab- about them for years. And I had been listening to the CDs and he said, mom, when you see them live, you'll get it. Because I kept saying, what do you mean, Ethan? They play everything and they play funk, but jazz with a banjo. And he goes, you know, you'll get it when you see them. So, 
so late 90s, as is, was playing in the San Diego area in the summer. And so, of course, I go also so I can go to their gigs and then we can go to the ocean and swim all day, go to the beach all day. And so we did that. And then it turned out that um, the configuration Bela Fleck had put together in the late 90s, because, you know, he always added other musicians to their shows. Um, they were playing the belly up at Solana Beach which is a great venue, a famous venue. And we're staying near the beach anyway. And so Ethan and Alan Dakina and I decided we would go that night. And um, we did. And it, yeah, they Ethan had already seen them a lot. And he was like, noticing all the new things they were doing and all the new things Victor was doing with the bass, which he always has. So, so this is like, yeah, 25 years ago. No, more than that, more than 25 years ago. And so I'm standing there and we're in the crowd. And in those days, yes, anybody who went to see Bela Fleck or Victor Wooten and his brothers, it was mostly young men who were just into how they played their instruments. Uh -huh. And we were like, oh my, it was just so great. And then, you know, they always say, hey, stay if you want to chat with any of us. And we did. And so Ethan's telling Victor, it, you know, gee, I noticed you did this, this, and this, and I've seen you a lot, but you did all these other things with your bass this time. And gee, I was here having a gig and my mom and I were at the beach with our friends and he, and you know, Victor's shaking her hands and talking and that we went many, many times after that, but that was so, so fun. And then for me to see, how happy Ethan was that I finally got it. Like, uh, oh my gosh, yeah, there's nobody like them. You can't describe the music they make. It's superb. They had, you know, people playing clarinet. And uh, and then, you, yeah, just seeing the Wooten brothers for the first time and understanding, oh, Bela Fleck does everything on the banjo. Victor does everything on the bass. Um, all the other times were great too, wonderful. But I have to say the first time is just amazing for me. And to get to do that with Ethan was just so fun. And then, um, you know, we, we would always stay and talk to them over the years. And that was so much fun, so much fun. And they're used to. They're used to musicians asking them a million questions and praising them over and over. And, you know, they're just very kind and patient and they listen to everybody. But uh, it was so fun for me to hear what Ethan was going to say each time to Victor Wooten, you know, even to January 2020, four years ago, when... Uh, we went to the MIM 
and um, it was going to be Victor and Steve Bailey, and then with Greg Bissonette on drums, and um, our friend, our friend John is friends with Greg Bissonette. So four years ago, we're at the MIM, and Greg Bissonette, we met, we meet up with Greg. He's showing us how to take a selfie. He's being, he's just very sweet and friendly. And he and Ethan are talking about stuff and, uh, and we're just having a great old time. And then he says, well, do you, you know, before the show, do you want to talk to Victor? And we go, yes, <laughs> not our first, not our first time doing this, but of course. So then, uh, Victor and Steve Bailey had been walking through the whole museum, which was closed at the time before they started playing their incredible show. And uh, so we got, <laughs> we got to chat with them once again. And uh, the, you know, uh, for the friends to see how friendly and down to earth Greg Bissonette is. And then of course, Victor and Steve Bailey, they're just, you know, Ethan's chatting it up and asking them questions and talking about the mem. And then Ethan needed a part for his light up Warwick bass. And it was very hard for us to find that part. And so he started asking Steve Bailey because Steve Bailey works with Warwick. So they started this whole conversation about Warwick bass parts. Um, and that being 2020 was the last time, uh, I saw Victor with Ethan and, uh, I just have to say it was many, many years of fun. The most fun you could have at a gig or a concert, somebody else's gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we could talk for hours just about that and how sure. fearless they were and are in their creativity and yeah trying every kind of music with every kind of musician but that thing about uh you know all these decades musicians around the world bring their instruments to have victor or whoever sign oh, sure. them. and uh um so yeah but it is it, it's just so fun yeah, I'm thinking about every band's gigs that I love going to. Uh, you know, for with Delcoa, definitely Wrigley Mansion most Sundays was just the funnest thing. And then, as they talked about in their Zoom with you, uh, the CD release party was just joyful delightful fantastic you know and uh whenever any group would include a beatles song you know ethan would say to me ahead of time now there's a surprise coming and i'm not going to tell you what it is but um you know it i remember him saying that and uh that was just just one of the most fun, joyful, funny, celebrating big parties, you know, when yeah. 
when they put that together. Um, and uh, so then going back to things I things I love to do with Ethan. Um, ever since he was little, he would show me something he learned on an acoustic guitar, on a bass guitar, on the saxophone, whatever. So I was always used to that. That thing of once he started seeing Victor Wooten in Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, and that was when he was in high school. They started going to those gigs somehow. The guys in the jazz band found out about them. So they started out um, back then. But what I would notice at uh, Ethan's gigs was would be, oh, my gosh, uh, he's, do he's doing new things. He's doing th new things on stage with whatever group he's in with his bass guitar after seeing Victor. And that continued for decades. And that was a blast because I, I knew, you know, I was, <laughs> I went to every band he was ever in. I watched him play. And then when I would go, Oh my gosh, now he's doing all these things that was a great thing for me to see. Um, I just, you know, watched it unfold. Uh, his whole life playing music where I go, oh my God, it wasn't just I could ask for any song I wanted, you know, on the acoustic guitar or on the bass guitar. It was just me going, oh, this gig is more fun because look at him playing that now with these people. It's just, you know, I'm saying that as the mom, whereas we've been hearing all of the musicians going, oh, it's so fun when we did this gig and he was playing this. And, uh, you know, so for me, so me thinking of specific things that I love, I would when we would be <laughs> sitting around in the daytime, let's say at his house, and I would say, OK. Would you please do everything? Uh, take this and he would take the song like a virgin for instance that's the one that comes to mind and so then he would play it the way it was recorded and then I would say okay now would you do and I would name the different kinds of music but once we you know I didn't even have to say ask for it he knew so then he would do heavy metal thrash version of <laughs> like a he would do reggae version of it. Um, he would do uh, melodic romantic. He would do, I always wanted funky disco bass. So then Ethan would do disco version of the song and, uh, and country Western version of the song. And, um, you know, beautiful jazzy or blues or whatever. But uh, I, of course, you know, he would, he would imitate the voice of whatever, whatever group or whatever song I had asked for, but I would say, okay, do it all. And so I just love to hear that the heavy metal version of a classic rock song or a popular song 
to um yeah to disco to reggae to uh country western it was just you know comedy mixed with entertainment but it would be just for me you know i just loved it so much Thanks once again for joining today. I hope you enjoyed listening uh, to the first half of my conversation with Kathleen. Next week, we'll pick up at the same point and uh, finish it up. And this is the first episode. I'm leaving you without a song because I've decided to save it for the end of our interview. So thanks for joining and we'll see you soon.